Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the uh, second season of the Talking Toro podcast. This is episode 20 in total. Um, and a, a couple of weeks ago, when um, so that seemed like very far away, when Torino uh, had won three games, I asked the question uh, whether we were going to win the league, Peter. We've now lost three consecutive games. Should we be worried about relegation? I've seen Sampdoria play. I think we, I think we might be all right, but no, it's not. We're, we're not on a good run. I, I'm going to put a stat at you. Do you know the, the team we've got the longest uh, winless streak against in Serie A at the moment is who, who Toro have? Yeah, I'm we're really that. good at these. We're really good uh, at yeah. This winless I, I'm guessing it's Napoli. Uh, Napoli. That was uh, game 15 against Napoli. Wow. Do you know? Do you know who's second? Milan? No, Milan. I think Milan, Milan we've got a few home wins, haven't we, in, in re- fairly recent times. But yeah, Juve will be 14, uh, seven, seven seasons. Yeah, Juve. Uh, Juve it's, good job. Th- it's a good I job they're not, not coming up soon. I was thinking Juve, and I was thinking whether we'd had a win before since 2000. I thought, I can't remember us beating Milan since 2015, but obviously we have. Yeah, but I, I reckon if there's a talking Bologna pod out there, I'm not sure. I'm not sure... I'm not sure other teams have these runs. Like we, we just have disgusting uh, runs against so many teams. It's like I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure they do. I'm sure that they've, but they're sort of. I bet sort of some other teams, their bogey team, and maybe a, is a, maybe a smaller side where they just always struggle to get a result against Sassuolo or something like a team who actually historically we've had a decent record in uh, with, especially sort of in, in well, I was going to say recent times. It didn't really exist that's... twenty years ago. Well, that's 11 trips to Naples um, where we've picked up four points. Uh, and I know our friend Mesa last week, he got a really nice view of the game. Um, and I'm, ha- I'm happy for him. But that's a, that's, that's a pretty... I mean, Napoli, I think over the last few seasons, Napoli have been the one team who've we've really struggled with and have kind of consistently played pretty well against us. I, just, I think they've just got... Um, such fluidity in 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 the final third. They always pull our three man defense apart. Um, a lot of you know in our games against a lot of the other better teams, we uh, we tend to do pretty well and make them struggle. But Napoli Napoli is just always such a tough game. I, I would put my hand up. I didn't watch. I tried to watch the game. By the time I by the time you know well, I was fumbling around looking for a stream because you can't even pay to watch the match very easily in the UK at two at two o'clock Saturday kickoff. Um, but by the time, yeah, by the time I was was close to getting the stream, I saw we were two 0 down. I was like, uh, "Not this is." I think I've got other things to do in my weekend. But you watched it, didn't you? Yeah, I, I watched it. I gave um, gave Stoke City a, li- a little bit more money to to lose four 0 at home um, uh, after replacing a new manager, um, and I, I watched it on Bet Three Six Five, which have they've had it for a few years. And it's probably to blame for my. Um, slight gambling addiction is that when I was younger that was the only way for me to um, watch Italian games because there were no TV deals in the UK you could watch on betting companies quite wisely signed up on contracts to allow you to watch the game so I watched it on sort of like a small screen um, and yeah within within sort of 15 minutes I, I was almost tempted to turn it off myself but I felt the, uh, the, I'm sure we're going to we'll get onto the performance. I think there, there's rightful criticism that can be laid, but the one one caveat I will say is that Napoli can just do this to teams. They've, they've done it to Liverpool in the Champions League. Probably not be a surprise to many that Liverpool, despite their struggles this season, are a better football team than Southampton. Uh, than Southampton. Sorry. Oh, Freudian, he's gone. Freudian How many minutes Freudian is that? Slip. Hold. Can't stop the clock. <laughs> Four minutes is that? I was just stating facts. They're a better team than Southampton, and they're definitely a better team than Torino as well. Um, so it it is something that can that can be done. Um, I think just the the first ten minutes is probably the fi- the time where I actually just get through get through the first ten minutes and then start to play your football. The amount of gaps that were that were appearing in the first two or three minutes were were almost farcical. Um, if we go through the, I'll go through the goals. The first goal. It, Sort of Singo's getting beaten by Mario Rui. The attempt to put in the to block the cross isn't sort of what you would expect in the opening stages of a of a Serie A match. Um, in fairness, it's a great header, but do you want a sort of 
and Greece is a good player and, is, and sort of transformed his career since going to Napoli. Um, should Bongiorno be being beaten in the air by primarily a centre midfielder who uh, I think before that game, is, I mean, his goal scoring record is it was pretty poor. I think he's only scored sort of three or four goals in his career. So that's a, not a great start, but that sort of goal can happen. The second goal is probably the inexcusable one of the three where Anguissa again just runs the length of the pitch. Bongiorno, I, I, I think he's probably still running there now, to be honest. Uh, there's no chance of him catching him. Um, but how you, your left wing backs, um, Lazaro has ended up in the centre of the pitch. Rodriguez is nowhere to be found. At least Bongiorno gives him the effort of chasing him. And then <laughs> Milinkovic-Savic may have missed the, the day at goalkeeping school when they talk about narrowing an, hour, an angle and making himself big. He, he sort of basically just invites Sanguisa just, oh, here you go. That's it. Here's, here's, I thought that was sort of, it just, we'll come on to, I'm going to come on to him a bit later. Yeah, when, here, here, here's but, the... I know you've I know you've not scored many goals. Here you go. I've I've a I've a massive gap at my near post, and you can just you can just fire it through again. It's for a Napoli perspective, it's a it's a it's a good goal. It's it's something which is probably not a route that they would have expected. And Greece to have scored the first two goals, uh, and then the, the the third goal. Um, I've, I've been practicing my Georgian all week, so um, give it to Scalia. Um, he is. This is this is probably almost the most frustrating of it because he's he's done this so many times already in his in his short Serie A career. Um, a, a player who I, I, I really like the look of, um, and sort of pace, good dribbling skills. But again, it, like it ends up with um, Lukic being the nearest person to to sort of close him down. The finish isn't great either. It's a, it's sort of a um, sort of side foot. Um, which scuffed again, if it was yeah, it's sort of scuffed, and I feel like again, Milinkovic Savic should be should be saving that, and I think it's we tried to sort of cover it over in this season, and, and Milinkovic Savic has played well, and well, I say played well, he's just not made any mistakes, but I think the problem is that he is letting goals go in that other goalkeepers would save, and when you've got a team in the sort of middle area of the table. It's these fine margins which makes it which makes a difference. Given how we played towards the end of the second, towards the end of the first half, and again we were three one down, so the second half is almost irrelevant. But had we gone in, had we only been one nil down, and Napoli start to look at Champions League on the in the midweek, it's it's a totally different game. I think we sort of we sort of we lost the game more than the Napoli. Uh, again, they started well, but. Ultimately, you would expect a, a competent goalkeeper to have saved um, the second and third goals, and then Sanabria's goal just before half time has a massive difference. If it was only one nil at that time, but who knows? I think it it's going to be the best thing for Torino. Really, is that Willinkovic Savage has an unbelievable World Cup and fools a team, hopefully who aren't listening to this podcast into thinking that he's the goalkeeper that they need and um, we somehow make some money out of this thing, which has really been quite evident for a season and a half that we need an actual goalkeeper who is well, it, just an outfielder. Uh, yeah, I know there's, there's probably more to talk about in Naples, but I'm not sure how relevant some of it is. But if we look at... Uh, we did a pod in August and I think a lot of our views just reflected them. Of, of a lot of Torino fans where we saw the weaknesses in the squad and we saw what needed to be done. And it's just so frustrating that you're eight weeks into the season and all the things that, from from our viewpoint, that we could see happening or kind of happen. And um, it's just, yeah, it's Torino always doing the bare minimum in the transfer market. I mean, the goalkeeper, we said last season he wasn't good enough. He makes too many mistakes. Uh, there's this kind of, idea he's in the side for his distribution but I'm not I, I, I don't have, I think from since the middle of last season not really see, seen a huge amount of of distribution we seem to have, have have kind of not not be playing that way or kind of on the on the quick counter attack so much anymore and it's just yeah I mean he's not sometimes the mistakes he's making are not gaffes so they're not always obvious in in terms of um, that they're not going to be in kind of show reels of big mistakes, but they're just kind of technical goalkeeping errors where 
Uh, I mean, I've and I think he's got away with you because some of some of his form has not it, not been too bad. He's been a bit more competent in certain matches. But even that shot that um, Coop Myers had in the Atalanta game from outside the box, I think a lot of people gave him a pass on it. But again, I think I think a competent goalkeeper deals with that. I don't think we have, a, and I don't think we have a massively competent second goalkeeper in in, in Barisha as well. And I think, I so yeah, sorry. Why have we, we, we not sorted that out? Uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Peter, but there's just there's one thing which there was a sort of change in this in sort of television punditry in the last couple of um, years, where because goalkeeping is a specialist position, a lot of pundits who were outfield players their sort of description or their analysis of, of, a, of a goalkeeping error or, or a mistake was quite limited. So it was basically just he should do better there, which sometimes was quite harsh and you sort of almost need an expert um, pundit for that a position for a goalkeeper to actually come in and actually analyse what people have done well. So I think or what people haven't done well and what people do do well as, as a goalkeeper, and I think that's a fair, a fair comment to make. Obviously, anybody can analyse a, a howler as being obviously the goalkeeper should have been better there, but some of these goals are very, te- I think there's technical aspects of these, which I think if you did speak to a goalkeeper, next time next time you bump into Joe Hart in Shrewsbury, maybe we can get him on the pod and, and we can look at some of these goals, but um, it, I think that it's the it's the feeling where I, I've, I've played in goal before, I'm not claiming to be a um, goalkeeper, although <laughs> probably Milinkovic-Savic isn't either. Um, I, I think even from my limited knowledge of football as a goalkeeper, I know that some of the aspects of his positioning and his angling are wrong and there's things that he should be doing from a technical level that he's not doing. Now, if at the start of the season we'd sort of hoped that maybe he'd worked on these things and maybe the goalkeeping coach had, had spoken to him and was like, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. But the the evidence in this game is that some of these messages still just aren't coming through. And ultimately, if he's got to the age that he is now and is still not able to to grasp some of the sort of minor things that he he should be doing as a goalkeeper, then it it does make you wonder how what how and why we've just continued with this um, and and sort of continue to have him as the as the number one because it's not like there's a shortage of goalkeepers out there. I know it's a, it is a specialist position. Maybe that they just feel like the the people linked or the people they they uh, could have uh, signed were not. Uh, we're no better than Milinkovic Savage, but um, it, I think yeah, it's a difficult one because it, because of the position, it is so specialist. Like you say, it's not that there's these are mistakes. It's not like he's letting a, letting a goal in through his legs, and it's it's clearly a mistake. It, these are things which you just feel that another goalkeeper even not a great goalkeeper, even just a middle of the range goalkeeper would say it makes these saves. I, I can't remember. Even even in the Syriago era, can you remember a game where like Torino have been absolutely battered and the keepers made six, seven, eight, nine saves to keep a clean sheet to earn a result? I think there's a few in the early Mazzari Syriago seasons where yeah, I don't know about eight or nine saves, but certainly a couple. A couple I, I of can saves, remember. But... I can remember P- Padelli having a great game in in the derby we won um, against Juve in 2015. And making a couple of like unbelievable saves, which you weren't expecting him to make. But it again, it's it, I feel like there is some sort of like bias that you have for the team you support. You always feel that you never get the last minute winners, like we discussed last week, or you always feel that you never have a goalkeeper who, even when you don't deserve a result, you manage to get one because the goalkeeper's on inspired form. Um, and yeah, I'm sure on talking Bologna, they probably feel the same, but. It's... But I just also feel I don't think we have a keeper who saved the penalty in a long time. I don't have the stats on that, but I think Milinkovic Savage has ever saved a penalty. I th- I thought he saved one this last season. Insignia, the corresponding fixture last year. Insignia ah, missed one. Did he save yeah. it or did he? I think did I he... think he saved it. Oh, but it was it was uh, it was it, to him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He was he was yeah. he was getting his, his boarding pass to uh, Toronto ready. I think. But I mean, yeah, I think goalkeeper was one of the four areas. We we were worried about. I think another one is 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 fallback. So we got we got four of them. You quite rightly said in August they're all right backs. We got four right backs, um, and at the moment we have one Voivoda who, when he's fit and plays well, is is pretty reliable, and especially offers something crossing wise in the final third. Ina 
a bit like Milinkovic Savage, I'm kind of surprised he's still there uh, for different circumstances. His contract's running down. Singo's coming to the season, not looking fit. Um, and when he's not good, he's really not very good. And Lazzaro is a player who's kind of been passed around Europe over the last few seasons. And yeah, probably does need a run in the side to give him a chance. But again, there's just quite a lot of mistakes in his game as well. And I know I'll just go off on a slight tangent, but I was just start thinking, when's the last time Torino had a really... We, got, we don't have a left-back in the squad, a, a recognised left-back, which in a system where you're playing 3-5-2 um, is pretty damning. And then I looked... Since we've come back to Serie A, what was it, 2011, 2012, we've had Christian Ansaldi was pretty much the one the one specialist left back we've we've had. And who, you could argue... who also technically, well, I still don't know to this day what his best foot is, but I yeah. think he played the majority of his career as a right back. Yeah, exactly. And the the other one we had who filled in was was Damian, who who for a period played left back when he was a right back. So you could even argue argue and say in the last 15 years, we've not had a bona fide, a quality left back. Uh, uh, I, just... I, I'm going to stick up for Christian Molinaro. I think he actually well, did, Molinaro... he, he did a, a decent job in the circumstances. Molinaro was, yeah, I mean, Molinaro was, I'd say especially his left back, but it was Molinaro. And he had cert- it's definitely certain limitations in, in, in the, the final third. The fact that I'm having even having to have this discussion and include Molinari probably says how bad the, the things have, have been but, at left back. Look at the chain of left backs. We had we had Muru, we had Far- we bought Farias didn't play a game, Diego Laxalt, Bareka Bareka looked like the one who might break through at one point. And then we've had people like I mean I got Molinari on the list. We had uh, Danilo Avalar, disaster, Gaston Silva, Maziello, um Pasquale. I mean we just haven't bought. We've got we've got a real blind spot, and this is not a Vanietti thing, not a Petraki thing, but we've got a real blind spot for left backs. And I think this season, especially, um, it's a real struggle because I think the players we've got, I know Voy kind of Voivoda can fill in, but not fill in in the same way that uh, Tenansaldi or Damian did. And I just, yeah, I, mean, I can't believe we've gone into this season without. Yeah, it's just that balance in the team as well to not to not have that balance. And I mean, you could also argue that Ricardo Rodriguez was bought to be a left wing back, and by even by his own admission, it's just not a role he can play anymore. But again, he was, I guess, he was bought to fulfil that role. And in terms of in terms of being being brought in to play that position was a, was a kind of another disastrous signing. And he's he's gone on to play very well as a left sided centre back, but. It's probably, Again, yeah. it's, it's probably fair enough to to just uh, remind everybody that Ricardo Rodriguez he's only thirty, um, only just thirty. As yeah, well. he's only just turned thirty. So for his for his own admissions, for him to sort of admit that he can't play as a left wing back anymore, which was well, I think he, he played mainly as a left back for Wolfsburg. But I mean that that sort of speaks volumes that at thirty years old he doesn't feel like fit, um, sort of athletically he can he can play that position. Did uh, you anymore? Did you see that interview he gave last week when he got his yeah, hundred caps? Yeah, I did. I did see some of the quotes, and that was something I was going to pick up on. Um, a captain who doesn't like to talk isn't ideal. A left um, back who doesn't like to play left back. <laughs> captain who doesn't like to talk. Um, um, and and that's it. I mean, that may have may have just interrupt into all your points. Um, but but just about the captaincy debacle. Obviously, the Lukic thing at the start of the season we sort of glossed over with the initial victories but to have ultimately your captain go on strike and then have him stripped to the captaincy then give it to Rodriguez who again it, this isn't a, a sort of Torino um, speciality or something A lot, especially in Italian football usually captain just goes to the player who's most experienced and has played the most games so that really have too much of an issue with that but Rodriguez isn't the sort of character who's going to sort of scream at somebody for making a mistake or gee the the boys up after conceding the first five minutes in Napoli to get a result he's just going to quietly just go go and get on with his work and make sure his hair looks nice we don't have anyone in the squad who does that and and that was the point I was going to come up to I I think we were both we both sort of agreed with the reasons not to sign Rolando uh, Mandregora but in hindsight which is a wonderful thing that that 
lack of uh, signing him now with the Richie injury, um, the, how weak we look in centre midfield, and the fact that he would be probably prime candidate for being cap- a captain whilst on the pitch. Um, I just there isn't really anybody in the squad who would match his passion or his sort of leadership qualities. Um, Bongiorno, again, did did wear the captain's uh, captain's armband against Sassuolo, but he's probably. I can't imagine that he's going to be a starter in the next couple of weeks, given his recent performances. Still a young lad as well, so it'd be a lot of pressure on him to sort of expect him to sort of pull more experienced players and, and tell them what to do. Um, yeah, I just think that le- a lack of leadership, it was probably evident for the first time under Juric. In that first sort of 15 minutes, the way they almost capitulated, really, just two counter-attacks, two half-chances and... Um, and yeah, they, they threw the game away. Well, you talk about leadership and Juric gets himself sent off, which... Then... On, a, on a nothing. On a, it's almost, yeah. And I, I don't think you can ever criticise somebody for showing passion, but I suppose you've also then got to just use your head and and be like, it was. It, it wasn't even for a penalty. It was just for a foul on uh, Singo. Um, and just, I mean, un, almost uncontrollable rage, which... I'm sure Vanyati's uh, familiar with as well, but it it just the the consequences of that is going to be that he'll likely be missing from the touchline for the for the Empoli game, which now looks like a, a must win. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the press conference with Zurich with Zurich Urich on the Friday, um, which are often quite a good watch, and he was in a very good mood. It was very kind of. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, a very kind of sunny disposition and answered all of the questions. And there's even a question about one of the journalists asked him about him seemingly being in quite a good mood. Um, but there has been, there's been a little bit, and I don't really you know, go on what people say on Twitter too much, but there's also a headline in Twitter Sport today where I think it's, it's that kind of time of the season where people have gone, oh, well, we've criticised Cairo and Vanyati. And I think there, there is starting to be, the first real criticism of of Urich from the press and, and part of the fan base as well. I think some of that might go away if we, we get a win at, against Empoli and then do something in the derby. But again, it's, yeah, I mean, I think Mesa made a really good point on the pod last, I don't think it was on the pod last week, but there is a kind of predictability to, to Urich's, certainly in-game management and decisions and, um, yeah, and I just don't think I don't think getting sent off was particularly clever when you when they get it's not a decisive moment in the game. The game had gone, and you know I just I don't know how much influence he has on the touchline, but I do, do you do feel I don't know you do feel there's a kind of bit more bit more passion and energy on the sidelines with him there than than when Matteo Parozo kind of looks very passive. A lot a lot of our best performances. Um under Juric have been where we've blown teams away sort of like Napoli did to us in the first 10-15 minutes and when that goal doesn't come obviously again the thing is and maybe this is maybe this is a, a sort of coaching issue, issue you did sort of feel that the, the team was set up to try and sort of almost do what Napoli did to us like in the first 15 minutes there were just so many spaces we were sort of just attacking um, a bit too prematurely in the, in that sort of game which if you think Last season, it took to the last game of the season for, for Toro to lose by more than a one-goal margin. Already, we've lost 3-1 at Atalanta, 3-1 at Napoli, um, and sort of looked like we could be sort of getting a bit of a, a bit of a hiding. So I think defensively, we're not, we haven't got that same sort of faith that actually, yeah, we can come into this game against one of the big sides and we're not going to concede more than one goal. Even 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 with Milinkovic-Savic's issues last season, it was only that Roma game towards the end of the season where we we lost by more than a one-goal margin. Um, so, actually, no, there was, there was Udinese as well, but I, I discount that because they were both in injury time. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a break, there was a brain effect. I must think last year we had Pobago and Mandragora gave us a bit more height in certain situations. Um, high energy, better press. I mean, sent the central defensive positions are not one of the ones we were particularly worried about, I think. But if you look at that cover in central midfield, we've got, again, we've got three central midfielders, Linetti, Lukic, Ricci. Ricci, I think, may be back for the Empoli match, but it's, you know, it's no great surprise that 
that that's not really working out, not having those options in midfield, not having a bit of variety. Um, in some senses, Richie and Lukic are complement each other quite well, but they're quite similar in terms of profile. Um, Linetti has had a steady start to the season, but he's not he's not someone who's... He's a decent squad player, I think, at best. Um, and then the other area I want to talk about, yeah, and we talked about it last week, and it, it's centre-forward, and... Yeah, I mean, Sanabria scored, and I think had he put that header away just before halftime, it was probably a bit of a turning point in the match. I think if he'd scored that, Napoli would have probably come out in the second half and blitzed us with another couple of goals. I, but... I, see, I, see, I did get some... If you remember, Can you remember the Atalanta game um, a couple of seasons ago where it was, I think we went 3-0 down as well and then we yeah. got two late goals um, in... The Bonazzoli uh, header, Yeah, Bonazzoli header equaliser. I did sort of... When that goal came in and then we had the chance immediately afterwards, I did sort of have a feeling if that had gone in... I mean, Napoli... Uh, the, the momentum shifted that game. Even even at three two, we could have just got got the players in and sort of just said, okay, well, let's just sort of calm down a little bit, and then last 15, 20 minutes, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a chance to try and get something there, which is sort of what we did against Atalanta, and and it did have some sort of it was a bit familiar to that game, um, but obviously, yeah, that as soon I, I I mean, I, and I thought second half performances we performance we did play a lot better again. It's almost like the result had gone, so it, it and Napoli had taken the foot off the gas. But the only positive I would say from the game was that we did continue. We sort of dominated the second half. Um, we had a, num- a couple of half chances where it, I think if if there were sort of murmurs of things maybe not being all right in the camp and and people being against Urich, then you could have seen sort of a four, five, six. Uh, happening there, which is is what's happened historically in in campaigns where um, we've not really been all on the same page. So that was the only positive I'd say from the game. But again, I don't think you can read too much into it because there's also the same possibility that that Napoli could have come back out and scored two quick fires goals to win the game again. Well, yeah, I mean, Sanabria's scored eight in his last 37. So that's almost a season's worth of games. So that's what he's going to get you. He's going to get you eight goals. Um, Pellegrini, Pellegrini scored seven career goals. So I think two runners debut. Yeah, so we're not. We just look so thin there, and it's those it's those four positions we identified in August, yeah. and and the four positions which are going to be, you know, I, I think are going to prove our Achilles heel. I think the the only promising thing could be the fact that we we don't have that many games to go until the World Cup break, which will then be the. Um, which will then be the transfer window, so we can sort of assess and and look at, at what we need for the squad. But knowing Torino as we do, I, I've got no confidence that they're going to sort of sort out the issues at the start of January. It will be towards the end of January, looking at what sort it'll of be, bargain. It'll, be, it'll be another right, another right back will come in. Yeah, and, and uh, to be made to play left back. How was how did Moranchuk play? I read he was pretty invisible from the reviews I read. But yeah, I, I didn't really notice him. Which again, he's he's been out for the best part of what two months so almost expected you don't expect him to come straight back into the team and and have a have a role he's in he's a very tidy technical player um maybe lacks the sort of um goal presence as, as a Vlasic or a Radonjic but I think he he's definitely got a role in the team I think I think a game maybe like at the weekend against Empoli a team a game where we're going to have the majority of possession I think he's that will be the games where you're going to notice him a little bit more whereas against sort of the bigger sides I think he might struggle to sort of to make a mark on the game. I know we'll probably talk about Empoli a bit more at the end of the pod, but how do you feel it's a must-win game? Bearing in mind the derbies afterwards, and I think then Udinese away. Yeah, I think with especially with um, our rivals uh, from Venaria um, picking up a, a victory and maybe looking like they're in a little bit of form themselves. Well, I say that after one win. Um, I think I think it's very I think yeah I think we need to win. Um, ideally, I think for confidence, a, a good win would be good. Um, with sort of maybe two three nil, but even at this stage of season, like any any sort of any sort of victory to just take something into that game. Um, we we played quite well in the home derbies in the last couple of weeks, uh, last couple of years, sorry, um, but have been 
as has so often been a problem of just not being clinical in front of goal. And I think if I, I it's difficult to ever sort of pre, put put forward a convincing case that Torino are going to win a derby. But I think if we'd if you, I mean. Even if imagine if we lose to Empoli, having lost four consecutive games, I think it'd probably be one of the worst sort of runs going into a, to a derby since since we returned to Syria. Yeah, I often find the Torino the week the game before the derby. I got a feeling last year we lost to Venezia the week before the derby. I might be wrong, but it was around that time. You know, we lost silly games to Cagliari, Venezia. Yeah, I have a feeling Venezia was the possibly the one we lost. They're coached by uh, Paolo Zanetti, who coaches Empoli this weekend, but. Yeah, I just don't think we can... I think we need to take our eyes completely off the derby. I, I'm not always a huge fan of these um, the lunchtime kickoff games on the Sunday. <laughs> Again, I've, I've run on that. Never seems to be that great, but it often it's often quite a flat game as well. Yeah, so... Um, after, as, as they often are against Empoli as well, so... Um, yeah, we had, we had this great run of form in between the derby last season. This is the derby at Juventus. So we lost at home to Venezia, then outplayed Juventus to, to get a 1-1 draw. And then up in the back of that, we, we took that confidence into a 2-1 home defeat against Cagliari. Yeah, just, none of that really made much sense. But um, I mean, the Venezia game, I think we were slightly unlucky. At least, I mean, we had a perfectly good goal rule that yeah. end. But that, that, I remember that, that Cagliari game was one of the certainly one of the worst from last season. Um but anyway, we'll talk. We'll talk a bit more about Empoli because it's a bit. It's a bit of a going to be a special fan there in 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 the in the, uh, in the Cordova for uh, for that one. So you'll tell us a bit about that in part two. Um, should we play in playing a bit of audio? Yeah, let's see go up for our it. hero of the week. Let's go for it. Dalla bagnarina Rosina, a centro a bruscato su di lui notari Rosina, colpo di testa di Nicola, tre a zero. Hello and welcome to uh, the second part of the uh, Talking Toro podcast. What you may have just heard um, was um, some commentary from a very famous game from uh, our Hero of the Week. So, Peter, over to you. Who is who is inducted into our Hero um, Toro Hero Eleven? Well, this this guy is getting two. I guess he gets two slots. One is as a kind of journeyman right back, and one as a um, man who helps us with a great escape. Uh, the season before last. So it's Davide Nicola, uh, who played a season for Torino late in his career and obviously um, coached us as well. I just thought, yeah, this, Torino have appointed a fair few over the years, kind of um, people who who play for the club and also become coaches. Not many of them have been, been that successful. I mean, Mondonico being an exception, but we had people like uh, Novellino, and then more recently, uh, we obviously had Moreno Longo, um, and then well, a, a kind of a few, the Franco Lerders of this world, um, Ezio Rossi, and people like that who played in the 1980s who weren't particularly or quite the opposite were quite 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 bad coaches. Um, so Nicola is a nice nice one in a way. He was a very unglamorous uh, player, but his he had this one very seminal moment, which was the, uh, we talked about this game briefly last week, but it was the playoff final against Mantova at the end of Cairo's first season in charge. Torino had lost 4-2 in Mantova a few days before. I remember watching that game. I remember being holiday in Normandy and we talk, we always talk about watching these Torino matches random places. And I had no, no real hope of, been able to watch the game and then walked into a bar and it was on. Uh, I think we may have been a couple of goals down by the time I, but yeah, by the, by the time I kind of um, was able to watch it. Uh, Torino didn't play particularly well that night. Uh, Mantova were a very physical long ball team. As I said, we, we lost 4-2 and then we got to the second leg in Turin. Uh, it was around over between 60 and 65,000 there. So the stadium was packed. It was the Pretty much the last hurrah of this would have been the last match we played at the Stadio delle Alpi, I guess, because we were promoted and we've always been, since we've been under Cairo, we've always played at the, the Stadio Olimpico Grande Torino in, in 
in Serie yeah. So yeah, it was the last. I never really reflected on it like that. It was the last game of the of the Dele Alpi. But um, so Torino, I think Torino just had destiny with them that season. Um, we went two 0 up through uh, Rosina penalty and 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 a Muzzi goal. We took the game into extra time, and then right under the Cordova, we had a corner. Um, a few minutes into the first period of extra time, in swing and quarter, and uh, David Nicola rises to score, put us three 0 up. Uh, pandemonium. There was, I remember Claudio Ferraresi lifting up the corner flag, but yeah, mass celebrations. It you know, it did feel like the goal that, that had taken us up. And a bit of backstory: Nicola is a born on the outskirts of Turin, but a big, always, always been a, a big, big Torino fan. Um, a very special moment. We saw we saw out that game. A former Torino player Paolo Poggi scored a penalty, and then yeah, Mantova came came close to, to to kind of I guess stealing it. And then Nicola, he wasn't one of the players who was retained following season. In fact, he played I think he played something like thirty five games that season. But his other goal, uh, the reason why to talk about that was he also scored in a two one win away at Cesena who are one of our promotion rivals. And at the time, I don't know if you, I guess it the period you were starting to support Sprinter, but certain Serie B games were on Eurosport. Did you ever remember that? So this was uh, this was actually how I watched the, um, or watched part of the um, player final. So I, I watched the player final almost without, because I, I'd, I'd just gone to... Um, I think of, um, of the time so yeah this would have been two thousand. so this would have been the end of 2006 this was like May 2006 isn't it yeah so I'd sort of only just became sort of aware of, of Torino and, and Grande Torino in that in the October 2005 so it's still that season um, and yeah I was aware that the player final was on Eurosport I think at the, I think it, I was just scrolling through the channels and it was on um, so I, I, I don't really have a great memory of it, but I can remember that there bit there being Eurosport games there, and obviously it's one of those things which you sort of wish you wish I'd have found out a little bit sooner because then I could have watched a few more games in that season. Um, but yeah, I can remember turning on TV and, and watching a month of a game, and I think I might have I might, may have seen one of the goals, but again, it's it's not a it's not a vivid memory, but I can I can remember the, that Eurosport had the rights. Yeah, it did, which may have been the reason I was able to see it in France at the end of the season. But yeah, they they had the rights, and I think there was a Monday night Serie B game. I don't think they showed. I think they picked up the kind of Serie B games that were put on a Friday or a Monday, and Torino were very often on those matches. And I think I must have been back in the UK for that Chazena game. But Nicola scored in that game. That was his other goal. Um, so he was a player for the big moments of that season. Um, he was a journeyman. I remember seeing a lot of him when he played for for Genoa. Funnily enough, although he was probably 32 when he that season he had a Torino towards the end of his career, he'd never played in Serie A. And the following season, he went to play the only 15 games he ever played in Serie A for Siena the season after. Um, but a lot of his career at Genoa and Ternana. Um, but obviously he had his moment as a as a Torino player, as a Torino fan. It just, it just must have been, it was such an epic end to a great season. Um, and then he went on to become a coach with his reputation for... Yeah, I guess kind of um, miraculous escapes with definitely the one with Crotone last year with Salernitana, but also keeping Genoa, Udinese up. Um, and of course, the season with Torino. He also had a very tragic story about losing his son. Uh, his son was uh, killed. He was riding his bike and he was, uh, I think he believe he was hit by a, a, either a truck or a car. Um, so I think after one of, Nicola's was it the Crotone one where yeah, he rode rode yeah, up he from, rode from, rode from so did he ride from Crotone to Turin because I, yeah. I think there was like yeah. a, a welcoming at the Philadelphia yeah uh so again yeah just the welcoming being yeah at the Philadelphia but just yeah another connection with 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 Torino I think is when his son had the accident it was up um again on in the outskirts of of, of Turin and I think it was always destiny he would be Torino coach we uh, it was you know fairly I guess not dissimilar profile to the longer appointment which had been the season before uh, so then they got Nicola comes in as coach and it, I guess it was sandwiched between Benevento and Benevento because his first game was the was the Zaza game against Benevento drew 2-2 I mean it's, Zaza was probably the 
certainly in terms of you look at the big moments of the of the Nicola reign, Zaza's was it the two goals at Benevento and two goals Sassuolo? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which... Uh, I think, and and to be honest, that it's that Sassuolo game that I wanted to talk about because it was a. Um, I think it was it. I don't know if it was rearranged or something. Said so it had a. Kick, I can remember the kickoff time. I think it was St Patrick's Day, and I think it was a two o'clock kickoff. Um, and I can't think of why that would have been. I know it was the COVID season, so maybe it was maybe there was a call off. Um, Torino, Torino, the call off in in Torino lost a lot of games in in the February, and yeah. I was looking back at this because I I saw it was St Patrick's Day, and I couldn't work out whether that was the original fixture date. Because in my mind, that game was a lot later in the season. But actually, yeah. that game was very early in Nicola Reign, and there's still a lot, there's still a lot of football to play. It felt like the game that kept us up, but in reality, no. it was yeah, it, it was there was still a lot to be done. And uh, I, I, it, I can remember the game just. Uh, I think I, I may have had a Guinness in hand, but I at two 0 down, I was basically like, we're we're relegated now. Like, there's no way, there's no way we can come back from this. And just the feeling of that comeback was probably even even just watching it on TV because um, it was still sort of COVID. So I think there were no fans there at all, whether they were just limited numbers. Um, but it's still one of, probably one of my favourite memories of, of a game, just the, the sheer relation after the game, because because at 2-0 down, I was basically resigned to, to this being a Serie B podcast. Um, so it, that... That's Some people would say I... it is, mate. <laughs> um, I think it's Serie D, actually. Um, but I... Um, yeah, I think that's something that I'll be eternally grateful for for Nicola. And I think after the seven nil defeat against against Milan, I think the writing was always going to be on the wall that even if we'd stayed up, it was going to be very unlikely that he was going to um, stay on as coach. And almost mirroring what happened with Salernitana, we almost stumbled our way to survival um, at the end of that season um, with with the Spezia defeat as well and. Then obviously Slantana last year year lost lost four nil and, and managed to stay up because of because of Cagliari. So I don't I think whilst he, some people may see he was harshly treated, I think ultimately the right decision was made. I don't think we would have enjoyed I think we'd probably be maybe sort of like a Genoa, Sampdoria type of side who are just always gonna be flirting with, with the relegation. Um Whereas at least Juric has sort of allowed us to sort of to think about being in the top ten once again. Yeah, I'm not sure Nicola's an identity coach, and I'm not sure he's to be fair to him, it's probably the first season where he's he's been able to to work a bit longer with a group of players. But I mean I look back and obviously we had the disastrous Marco Giampaolo who has just gone from disaster to disaster ever since Torino. But we were in a pretty we were in a pretty bad state. But under Giampaolo we'd funnily enough we'd We'd been very unlucky. We played well in in certain matches and just not got the points we deserved. Nicola came in. What he was very good at was creating a group, um, creating a mentality, keeping us in games with the three three. Uh, obviously in Bergamo as well, which I think probably helped the Sassuolo. Um, gave us the belief in that Sassuolo game to to, to, to come back. But we look at his record. We only won five games, five out of twenty. Um, what we were good at is not losing many. We lost, we only lost six, but yeah, we had the seven nil Milan followed by the four one in Spezia. Um, so it's quite, it's quite funny in a way. If you look at, I don't know, five wins from 20 matches doesn't keep a lot of Torino coaches in a job yet. His, he left a very positive legacy because, you know, the way the season played out and he kept us up. I think Torino stayed up in spite of themselves a little bit that season and, we, you know, had that one nil win against Parma, which, which was the big one, which 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 kept us up. But yeah, obviously, very fond of Nicola for 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 kind of many reasons beyond that as well. But it's it's yeah, he's he's a hero in a Torino sense, having you know only played thirty five matches as a journeyman fullback and then only twenty as coach. It is quite a he had some quite extraordinary moments in a very short Torino career, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's sort of what this this section isn't to be the the best players who've ever played for Torino or the worst players who've ever played for Torino. It's it's about 
stories and, and characters who, who've come into Torino, even if it's just for a short time and, and managed to make an impact. And ultimately, I, given how even with a um, survival specialist like Nicola, we stumbled over the line. Imagine if Giampaolo was given a, a little bit, a few more games. Um, you, you sort of, you feel like there would have been absolutely no chance of us staying up. So ultimately kept us in the division and has allowed us to to build from there. And I think that the shame will be that given the improvements of, of last season, if we don't sort of learn those lessons, that we we could be in a similar situation uh, in whether it's, I, th- I don't think we're going to be in any rele- serious relegation trouble this campaign, but if we continue to lose players and continue to sort of not replace the, the areas that are needed, it, it's not going to be long before we're, we're in those sort of Giampaolo Mazzari days, which which led to some of our sort of worst defeats of recent times. No, and I think your villain of the week, I think, left the club as Nicola came in, didn't he? Am I right? I, I believe so. Um, making um, making a move that not many people do after um, sort of failing at, uh, at Torino. Um and again, I'm glad I've just sort of caveated this by saying it's not the worst players. The, the, the Torre villain is, is never the worst players you've ever played for Torino because I think sometimes it's a little bit unfair because usually these players have only played, if they're that bad, they've only played a handful of, of games anyway. So you, You've just chosen the slowest this week. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not Rodriguez. He's having quite a good season. This, um, this guy, whenever he got substituted, and we were, we, you know, we, we, not that we were winning games and he was time wasting. It was just when we needed to get him off the pitch. It was the uh, slowest so, thing I've ever seen. I'm going to give me another caveat, as well, which we'll get onto. But the player is uh, Sorelio Mate. Um, and I think it's probably like a number of players who we've discussed in this, in this sort of Torre villain um, section. It's almost the, because the, there was so much promise at the start of his career. Uh, especially with Torino, that what actually ended up happening became such a shame and such a um, disappointment because th- much like the left-back position, centre midfield is also a position where Torino, have, until sort of maybe last season, have always struggled for quality quality players in that area. Um, Mete came in, um, a, a straight swap deal for Antonio Barreca, who's, who's the also great, the great the Antonio Barreca. Which, yeah. which again, even in hindsight, He's still probably quite a good move, um, despite how how Mate's career at Torino ended up. And he started his career with two goals in his first four games, and he looked like a like a very good uh, sign. He looked like he was quite comfortable in that midfield. Um, not that again, not the not the quickest, but always technically not too bad. Good with um, good with his feet, and a, a a physical presence that was something that we'd been lacking in, in midfield uh, at that time. Um, but it just became almost synonymous with, especially under Mazzari, his performances. When when Mete played badly, he was very bad and the team were very bad. And I think that was, it became more obvious, I think, as we were struggling more and more, that this is not a player who, who you wanted in your in your side in a, in a relegation battle. Um, and I think the fact that, he, I mean, sort of skipping on a little bit, the fact that he did manage to somehow, his agent managed to get himself a move to AC Milan, almost sort of shows you that the the potential was there. He is, he, yeah, I was going to say was, he is still actively playing. Um, oh, so, yeah, I couldn't believe you know where like he is. Yeah. Is that, I, I knew this happened and I completely forgot about it and then yeah. when I was looking looking at some stats before this pod I was like geez he's at Cremonese isn't I th- it I think it happened on deadline day so he's not managed to not managed to um, cross paths with Torino just yet but yeah I mean not many players managed to leave Torino and not be particularly well fondly remembered at Torino and then managed to get themselves moved to Milan and then Benfica um, but he is now back in, in Serie A with Cremonese and he it's I don't think he again repeating what I said earlier, but he's definitely not one of the worst players to play for Torino. I think he's actually on his day, even 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 as his sort of form deteriorated and, and you were sort of wondering how he was still getting into the team, he still would produce m- moments of magic. I remember an assist against Inter at the San Siro, which I think it was some sort of like back heel 
to Zaza, um, wasn't it? Nick to Zaza, yeah. which like which is which was technical ability which we're not used to seeing at, at, at Torino. He's very um again for for somebody with his sight and stature, I think his, his technical ability is something which is actually quite impressive. And I think if he under the right coach and under the right team, you could see him exploding to be uh, a good player. The fact that, that obviously Milan didn't take make their option permanent, Benfica um I don't think he was ever a regular there and, and now he's moved to almost actually probably I always got the feeling that he felt he could do better than than Toro um and the fact now he's sort of to get any sort of regular game time I think he was even on the bench for Cremonese at the weekend so he's not even starting there so it's it's sort of maybe a little bit of a, a lesson in humility that actually if he'd have knuckled down at, at Toro and, and put in the effort Maybe, maybe he would be uh, in the in the other section of of this um, podcast and and not as as a villain. Yeah, I mean, he's, again, he's he played nearly a hundred times for Torino, and there was just a lot of a uh, lot of insipid performances in there. You could, yeah, you're right. He scored. He scored early against. He scored at the San Siro against Inter, didn't he? And he scored a very good goal. Udinese, yeah. I remember people raving about this guy. Or you know. This guy won't be at Torino at the end of the season. He's, you know, and very quickly, yeah, you say technically he was quite good, but technically he could also be very bad. There's a lot of miss. I associate with him, especially when things start to go wrong under Mazzari and the spell on the Longo, just the amount of misplaced passes or the amount of blind passes he used to play. Um, I'm just not sure he was. Definitely a player who needs to be in the side playing with confidence. He's not the sort of player who's going to galvanise a team struggling, like you say. And I just also didn't know really where he fitted into, I don't know if said an 11 aside system, but just quite what his position was. I f- he didn't have pace. I don't know, maybe playing with three in midfield is quite. Yeah, that's, that's, quite, that's what, quite, what I but, think naturally is that maybe a, if you're playing a 4 3 3, where you sort of had a, a set role it within. A midfield, but had two sort of people. He's not. He's not holding midfielder. He's not a particularly creative midfielder. He's more of a box to box sort of. So I, I can remember he was always up and down, even though his passing may have always been off. He would sometimes sort of join the attack quite late, and then he'd, he'd, he'd come back and sort of help help out with defence. But you wouldn't have him as a sort of holding midfielder in like the Rincon role. Oh jeez, I think you mentioned that word. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the kind of midfield of Mate and and and, and Rincon. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's a little bit. It's almost surprising that we weren't in a relegation battle a little bit sooner. No, but yeah, I think yeah, I think one of those players who was a little bit. And he, would, um, I mean, he would have been a key part. Of it, yeah, he would have been a key part of the side that got into the, the Europa League um, under Mazzari. So, I think, I mean, it, the way that t- that side absolutely capitulated from the. Um, Wolverhampton defeats in in the Europa League qualifiers is was almost impressive to be honest. But but I think anybody who can remember the games from that time was that the, the football we were playing wasn't good. We we were very functional, almost sort of just direct. Like we're a, a bit lot the opposite. In. We're the opposite yeah. to what we are now a little bit in that we. Matsari is the one coach who I think has got us results against the bigger teams on a more consistent basis. Did often play well. Played the percentages, quite physical, yeah. uh, but quite. Which, he also had a Bellotti who, who. Oh, sorry, I've been the one, <laughs> one to mention him this week. But you also said a Bellotti was a. He was a lot better than the kind of, Bellotti that that subsequent coaches had. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, had players who could just, uh, and also the Argo Falco who, uh, but had you know had players with a bit of magic or, um, could could win games with one chance, um, which is. Yeah, quite quite different to how we are now. Um, but is this? I hear a little rumor that you may be um, attending your first Torino match in a while. Is that right? I am. Yeah, I will. Uh, I've I've managed to negotiate with my fiance uh, a little trip to Torino. It's, it's it's I'm 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 going on my own. Um, as unfortunately she can't get the time off work, but um, I am I will be in attendance in the Curva Maratona on Sunday uh, morning for the UK listeners. Um, this is my first game since February 2020. Um, obviously the the COVID 19 pandemic having a, a big thing to do with with that. Um, my last my last appearance uh, or, or 
my last appearance actually at the Olympico was for a derby in November 2019, which we lost. Then I went away to uh, Lecce, which is a lovely city, by the way, but uh, footballing-wise, the, the memories aren't, aren't as good. Uh, that was a 4-0 defeat. That was actually the end of Mazzari, so it's quite a, quite a, uh, a good time to mention it. Um, how, so how will, how will we recognise you on the... On, on the footage on well, the I mean, you, you I, idiot in the red, in red and white draper tools top or it's um it's 20 degrees so i might, I might not even need a shirt i think the, the weather in turin is a lot nicer than the weather in tamworth currently so i think uh, i think i think, I think we'll be spotting you then yeah you might you might see me uh they, they do tend to um when the busy sport when obviously they've got the international feed of the cameraman they do they do like a, a, a pan round the uh maratona before the game so we'll try and uh, get in get in early early doors so you can try and spot me um, I I have done some research of of how many of, of games I've seen Torino play live, so I've got a question for you. I've seen Torino play twenty seven times. How many wins do you think I've seen? This is probably almost as bad as my record, but um, I know it took you a while. I've, I don't know why it is. I think your first win was against Atalanta when when Bears scored was. late on. Yeah, Volta Bears. I, I, I think you'd been hanging on a while for that win. So I'm going to say five, three, three out of twenty-seven. Yeah, but the the promising thing we don't someone, we, we so, draw a lot. Yeah, someone needs to. Uh, so so yeah. So, I think no, you need to do a COVID test to swim before the weekend. No, really. It means to keep you away. No, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to caveat this with the fact that I might be missing the derby, which will be the first derby I've missed. Um, even like obviously watching on, watching on TV, uh, I may be missing the derby. So the caveat might be that I'm, we might lose to Empoli because I'll be there, but then we might win the derby because I won't be watching. So that could be, I think that's quite a fair trade-off. Uh, but want- yeah. Three wins, fourteen draws, ten defeats. All right, for next week I'll do mine. I'll, I'll take out the Serie B because I had a season ticket for a, a couple of Serie B campaigns. So I, saw, I, yeah, I saw quite a few matches, and we did. I, I, I still think that, I still think that counts, Peter. Well, no, I think, but I think I would have seen a lot of wins in Serie B. Where, but if I look at my Serie A record, I'm worried. I don't think I've seen Torino win a Serie A match. Wow, that could be uh, a big claim. I've not not been to as many as you I'd have to go but I've, I've seen a lot of matches against bigger teams oh, see, I, I, include um, friend, I even include friendlies in this to try and get to try and pad up the stats so I don't technically technically should be four because um, we did draw 1-1 uh, against Benfica in the Eusebio Cup and won on penalties so maybe that is four wins there you go. I, I'll, I'll come back with my stats next week I've, uh, but for yeah as I said I saw a lot of Serie B when I was able to, to go more regularly but I I'm not convinced. I've saw a, I've seen I've I've seen um, a Serie A win. So so basically, what we've learned here is that me and Peter shouldn't be going to Torino games. Um, I would say if you've been to 27, and I think my Serie A, I've seen definitely seen fewer than a lot fewer than 27 Serie A match. But let's say our combined total makes 38 games, it would be a three. It could be a three win Serie A season. Wow. Uh, well, we, we should draw, be nowhere near. We should be nowhere near that stadium. The draws could keep us up, maybe. But um, yeah, so Empoli. Anyway. Empoli. Yeah, I mean, all jokes aside, this is a game that we sort of really do need to win. Um, we one of our better performances, I thought, last season in the game at the Olympico when we were two 0 up and cruising, and then Singo got himself sent off, and we sort of stumbled to a two-two draw. Um, I think Richie. If he's able to play against his former side, that's going to be a massive boost just to give us that little bit of control in the midfield. Uh, funnily enough, Marco Piazza, who played, I think he scored and played really well in that game and now plays for Empoli. Um, so I just think if if you did, if you, I don't want to sort of sound too confident and it's going to sort of come back on me next week and it's going to ruin my trip, but I think if you were going to say, of a team in, in Serie A who you wanted to play when you really need a win at home, oh, then would Empoli would be in that oh, would be in that conversation. Oh dear. Um but yeah, I I hope that we will win. I think we will win. Um but yeah, I'm not massively convinced of how um sort of how big of a result it's gonna be or how convincing a performance it will be. I think we would really take anything at the moment, but it would be it would be nice. A lot of my victories, so my three Serie A victories were Atalanta, the two-one game which you mentioned, Volta Bursa, 
Bologna, uh, Bolotti accidentally mentioned him, but I had to. Uh, Last-minute penalty, one of the worst games football I've ever seen. In Bologna, that was, yeah. And then, yeah, in Bologna. And then Inter um, at the San Siro, Armando Itzo. So I've not actually seen Torino win convincingly either. I've only ever seen them win by sort of the odd goal. Um, so yeah, it would be nice to break a habit of a of a lifetime, and maybe we could maybe a convincing what, victory. What's your prediction then? I'm going to go three nil. Do you want to know? Do you want to tell people how many points you've got in the prediction? I've I've got one less point than I've I've seen Torino victories. <laughs> so I've got it's it's currently eight two, which is what probably the result Man- the Manchester derby could have been yesterday. Right. Um, so yeah, I, d- I definitely need um, a couple of completely correct predictions. So my sorry. Day, so what's, what? What did you go for? Sorry. So a three nil. Three nil. Three nil. Jeez. That's my that's my three points in the bag. To, to the last the last time we beat them. The uh, so last five at home to Empoli, we've only won one. That was three nil. Um, but it's been been two one nil defeats, including the Padelli game, which we mentioned in the Padelli villain profile. And then so three of the last five home games at Empoli were not scored. Um so I wasn't there for these games though. That's very true. But I is this gonna be the game that blows the doors off and we lose excellent excellent then, job pun. I thought you'd like that. And then we go to the derby and lose that as well. And then and then there's this kind of yeah, this kind of if hypothetically if yeah. we were to lose this game and the derby, would you be thinking that Urich could be in trouble. I'd be thinking that the club should have bought the four players we mentioned <laughs> earlier in the season. Uh, you already think earlier. that. You already think that now, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. It depends on the nature of, of of the things. Because if I look back, I mean, looking back at that Inter game is so frustrating because Inter have pretty much lost every game since, and that one was for the taking. But yeah, two of those defeats Inter and Napoli. Sassuolo was. We didn't turn up. Which, yeah, and, and know, another and us. another day. That's a nil-nil draw, and, and the run. Yeah. It probably shows you just the importance of yeah. sort of concentrating for a full game because now the context of okay, yeah, still a disappointing point, but you you then on a a, a losing streak of one game. It's not that's not a crisis, but when you you go into a game three three defeats in a row, people start to panic. Yeah. The Empoli game is massive because we have the derby. It might in theory be a closer derby in the league standings, but it's a derby. We have a habit of losing the home derbies 1-0 quite late on. It's just just a habit we've made. Then I think we've got Udinese and and Milan, possibly. So, yeah, this is the game. This this really is a massive game. Um, I have a bad feeling about it, and I'm going to go the other way. I think we're going to lose 3-1. Maybe I'm just putting all my, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice our, our kind of prediction, our kind of mini prediction league. And just and given me, I just, this could go either way. You get this spot on, and there's no way back for me to catch you, or or I manage to, to narrow the gap at least slightly. Yeah, I just as I said, I don't like these lunchtime fixtures. I don't like the run we're on. Um, I think there's flaws in this team. I think Empoli are fairly uh, just. There are quite difficult opponents sometimes. Um, and yeah, I think in your scenario, maybe we, we, we get a Torino with Lazic and maybe Redonjic play really well and get a bit of space and cause some damage. And I think, yeah, maybe. I think if, if ones, we, I think if we score one of those an, ones, yeah, exactly. If we, if we score, if we score an, an early goal, goal, I think that totally, totally changes what this game could be. It can be a two, three, and a comfortable win, which is what we did against Empoli last season before we threw it away with the red card. Um, I think if we, yeah, if we struggle, the later it goes, I do think that the fans might sort of start to get a little bit edgy. And especially, yeah, you could, you could definitely foresee a game where, especially if it's 1-1 or something, and later, later on we're going for it and then please hit us on the counter, then you could see, see us, us losing 2-3-1. Um, or, or, just a, or just a typical 1-0 defeat like the Sassuolo game. But yeah, I think it's going to be... It will be interesting. In fact, it's, in a way, the fact that it is quite a... I, it's sometimes feel a little bit more confident that we might, I might get to see a victory after we've lost a couple of games. I feel like if when I go to games, usually if we've won the week before, it's like, oh, we're definitely not winning this one. We've had our win. Um, so yeah, the fact that we're due a, due a victory just give me a little bit of confidence that I could could increase my record to four. 
Well, obviously, I hope you're right and I'm wrong. Yeah, me too. Uh, but I'm but... going. I'm. I'm. I. Yeah, I'm just going to go for that kind of afternoon or lunchtime where everything goes wrong. Stupid red card. Um. But yeah, I. I. I like your positivity. Um, so what else you got? What else are you uh, aiming to do when you're in Turin? I know you'll tell us a little bit more. About yeah, it next so week as well. I um I was hoping to try and find uh, another game uh, to go to because I do tend to to like to do a little bit of ground hopping whilst I'm whilst I'm in Italy. But as far as I'm aware, and I've I've looked into the depth of the lower leagues, that there aren't any games at all being played on Saturday. So if anybody does know of anybody or any games that are being played sort of within sort of an hour or so of Turin on the Saturday, then please let me know. Don't really mind the level. I'm used to watching terrible football. Um, but yeah, so I'm flying into uh, Bergamo, getting a, tr- getting a train over to Turin. So on late Friday, um, probably just have a little walk around. And unfortunately, a lot of the places that I used to go, sort of my my usual sort of restaurants that I'd go for dinner, sort of you make a habit of places that you tend to go back to. I don't think they've survived the, um, the COVID pandemic. So... Uh, any recommendations of sort of cheap meals to to go out and places which don't look too strange if you end up uh, walking in on your own. Uh, the, the sad little face you get from uh, restaurant staff in Turin or, or ever, anywhere in Italy when I go in and ask for a table for one um, is yeah, it's something that I don't don't enjoy seeing because they, they just look so disappointed that I'm I'm on my own. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward looking forward to just getting back to Turin. It's, I, been nearly four years since I was there last so just sort of walking around the city exploring what I've um sort of just what I've missed it's just it's just a nice city to walk around um but yeah any recommendations anything that I should uh go and see I'm, I'm hopefully hopefully going back in April and taking my fiance with me so some of the tourist things I probably won't head up to Sepergo I'll save that until I'm, I'm with my fiance um same with sort of the the Mole Antoliniana um I'll, I'll probably save a few of the sort of tourism things until till I'm there to sort of take take my my uh, fiance around the city that she's she's never been to before. But yeah, any other suggestions? And let me get know. And then yes, Sunday will be the game, and uh, I'll be flying back from Verona. So just just a little little, little tour of um, Italian airports is, is what I like to do. I'll give from you a Verona. review afterwards. Wow. Did you? Uh, who did, did Primavera not get a home game? No, Primavera. Funnily, Primavera. What happened to them? Yeah, Primavera. Yeah, a slight, a slight mention about the Primavera who were three-one up against Juventus uh, at the weekend and managed to lose four-three. Um, so maybe it's just something synonymous with Torino, no matter what the what the level is. Uh, they, funnily enough, are playing Verona uh, on the Saturday, I think, in Verona. So had I um, had both my flights been sort of. Verona probably would have been a possibility to have attended that game but I, I would to be honest I'd rather a little bit more time in Turin just to sort of get a feel of the city because especially with the game the, the time of the game on the Sunday doesn't really lend itself to doing much after the game either so um, yeah I think I'll I'll probably put some on Twitter as well but maybe going to the game and fancies a, a drink probably might not get a chance too much chance beforehand given the 12.30 kickoff. but if anybody fancies a drink and uh, a meal afterwards then uh, let me know and I might be able to might be able to uh, sort something out well I'm wishing you a wishing you a happy and prosperous trip a fourth win in 28 games and um, yeah tell us all about it next week we'll do a bit of a, a derby preview uh, my least favourite week of the season but I guess we've got to face it um, but yeah have a good trick but buddy and uh, yeah See you soon. Cheers, Forza Toro. Forza Toro.